The following sermon is by Dr. Chuck Register, Interim Pastor of Emanuel Baptist Church in Raleigh, North Carolina. Please visit us at 2100 Noble Road in Raleigh or on the web at ebcraleigh.com. Romans chapter 12, I'll invite you to stand in honor of the reading of God's Word. You follow along reading silently as I read aloud Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Let me offer a disclaimer before we read. Uh, I have broken this message up into a two-part series. Um, if you've been listening to me for uh, the months that I've been with you on Sunday morning, especially on Wednesday night, uh, you know instinctively if I tried to preach all that's in these two verses, uh, we would be here till about 4 o'clock this afternoon. And so to be kind to you, I decided that maybe this morning we would take verse 1 and then next week we'll take verse 2 because there is so much that Paul is teaching us through the Holy Spirit about what it means to be a follower of Christ and the life we should live as a Christ follower. Romans chapter 12, beginning with verse 1. Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Father, so many, not golden nuggets, but golden boulders in these two verses of Scripture. So much the Holy Spirit spoke to Paul, and Paul put pen to paper in these two verses about what it means to live for Jesus. And so, Lord, as we begin 2020, would you help us not just to comprehend what Paul is teaching in these verses, but Father, would you help us, would you help our lives to begin to look like verses 1 and 2 of Romans chapter 12? May you transform us is our prayer. And may that be done all to your honor and all to your glory. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As you're being seated, I would say to you that for us to truly to understand the impact of Romans chapter 12, the first two verses, we need to understand something of Paul's methodology of writing. And the Apostle Paul is credited with being the human writer of 14 books of the New Testament. Uh, some of those books are written to individuals, to Timothy, to Titus. Some of those books are written to churches, written to the body of believers gathered in a city to worship the Lord Jesus. The book of Romans, uh, Paul writes in his... Uh, Third imprisonment, he's writing as he speaks to the church at Rome. He has some things that he wants to say to them. And in doing so, what Paul does in most of his letters to churches is the first portion of a book, he deals with theology. Uh, he deals with biblical principles. He deals with uh, biblical teaching. He wants us to understand how we should believe correctly according to Scripture. 
And then when Paul is writing to churches, the last portion of a book that he writes, he writes to address practical living. So in the first portion of the book, he's helping us to understand what we should know and what we should believe and what we should accept. And the last portion of the book, he's helping us to understand because of these biblical principles that you believe, here's how you should live. Now, let me give you a very quick, easy example. Uh, Come with me to Ephesians, if you will, the book of Ephesians on over in the New Testament. The first three chapters of Ephesians, Paul's writing about theology. He's writing about doctrine. He's writing about what we should understand and believe. And so in chapter 1, he talks about the blessings of redemption. Chapter 2, he talks about what it means to be made alive in Christ. In chapter 3, he talks about stewardship, basically, and how we should steward all that God has placed in our heart. And then he comes to chapter 4, verse 1. And look what happens in chapter 4, verse 1. Paul shifts gears. He moves away from head knowledge, if you will, intellect, if you will, to how what he has just taught us should be lived out daily in our lives. And he says in verse 4, Therefore, I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner, manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love. So Paul, very clear example in Ephesians, he spends three chapters talking about theology, doctrine, theology, doctrine, theology, doctrine. Chapter 4, he shifts gears, therefore, because of what I have taught you in the first three chapters, here's how you should live. We come to Romans chapter 12, Paul does the same thing. Romans chapter 12, verse 1, let's see how this This verse begins, he begins with the word, therefore. Because of all that Paul has taught in the first 11 chapters of Romans, therefore, here's how you should live. Because of all of the theology, the biblical principles, uh, the the intellectual concepts that Paul has been teaching and writing and preaching that we should embrace, because of all that he has taught us in the first 11 chapters, he begins chapter 12, verse 1, therefore, and he's about to tell us how we should live, how what we know to be true from Scripture should impact the way we live each and every day. So to understand Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, we have to give ourselves an understanding of Romans chapter 1 through 11. Now you understand why I said a moment ago that if I was to preach both verses, we would be here until at least 4 o'clock. We want to take an overview of the first 11 chapters of Romans so that we can really understand what Paul is saying beginning in chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. So so join this, this aircraft with me this morning as we fly over the first 11 chapters of Romans from the 30,000-foot view so that we can have a clear understanding from an overview of what Paul's been teaching so that we can understand chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. So come with me, if you will, Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1, this overview of the first 11 chapters of Romans. Romans chapter 1, verses 1 through 5, Paul begins his letter to the body of Christ at Rome, 
And in verses 1 through 5, he gives us, if you will, an encapsulation of the gospel. He gives us the gospel in a nutshell. Let me show you what I mean by that. Now, there's an entire message in Romans chapter 1, verses 1 through 5, but but I want to focus you for just a few moments on this gospel encapsulated in these verses. Verse 1, Paul, a bondservant of Christ Jesus, called as an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. Paul uses a reference to the gospel 60 times in the book of Romans. He's writing Romans so that the church at Rome can understand the gospel, so that we, through time, his readers, can understand this thing called the gospel of Christ. So 60 times in this book, he makes reference to the gospel. He gives us the gospel in a nutshell. Verse 2, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son who was born of a descendant of David according to the flesh, who was declared the son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead according to the spirit of holiness. Here it comes. He's about to encapsulate the gospel in the next few words. Jesus Christ, our Lord, through whom we have received grace. The very first thing Paul wants us to know about the gospel is that grace comes through Jesus Christ. Saving grace. He's going to write about saving grace later in the book. Sustaining grace, that grace that helps us face challenges and tribulations in our life. He's going to write about that later in the book. Serving grace, the spiritual gifts that God gives us to serve the Lord in the local church. All three types of grace come to us from Jesus. Saving grace to save us from our sin and give us life everlasting. Sustaining grace to help us face those giant challenges and mountains in our lives. And serving grace so that we can be effective in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ in service to the Lord. Grace comes from Jesus. But that's not all of the gospel. There's more. Come back to the verse. Through whom we have received grace and apostleship. Paul says what we need to understand is that when we receive the grace of Jesus Christ, we also receive apostleship. Now, when we think about the 12 who followed Jesus and lived with Jesus, we understand they are the apostles. When we read from Acts and Romans and all of the powerful writings of Paul, we understand that Paul was an apostle. But here's what I want you to see clearly in God's word this morning. If you're here today and you have received the saving grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, he has forgiven you of your sin and given you life everlasting, and he's allowing you to live an abundant life here on earth, you are an apostle. Along with his grace, Jesus gives us apostleship, the verse is teaching. What does that mean? Where the word apostle literally means sent one. You, you are one who has been sent on a mission. You are one who has been sent for a purpose. You're one who has been sent with a message. When you and I came to faith in Christ, when we received the grace of Jesus, we also then were commissioned by Christ to be light in a dark world, to be salt in a decaying world. We have been sent forth with the message of Christ to proclaim that message 
to those around us. That's part of the gospel message that Paul wants to unpack in the book of Romans. But that's not all of the gospel that he points to. Come back and look with me at the verse. Through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith among all the Gentiles. The word Gentile that's used there is where we get our English word and concept of ethnic groups. Part of this gospel message that Paul wants to unpack in the first 11 chapters of the book of Romans is that grace comes to us through, from Jesus Christ, through Jesus Christ, only through Jesus Christ. When we receive his grace, we are commissioned as apostles so that every ethnic group in the world can come to faith in Christ. So that North Americans can come to faith in Christ, so that Africans can come to faith in Christ, so that Asians can come to faith in Christ. You've been watching your news this week so that Iranians can come to faith in Christ and Iraqis can come to faith in Christ. American servicemen and women can come to faith in Christ and terrorists can come to faith in Christ. So that all the world can come to faith in Christ. And then there's one last postscript he puts in verse 5 that is so important for us to see. Through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith among all the Gentiles, the entire known world, all the ethnic groups, for his name's sake. And it's all to be done for the glory of God. And so in the first five verses, Paul encapsulates the gospel. You and I received grace to deal with the sin in our life only through Jesus Christ. When we trust in Jesus and he pours his grace into our life, we are also at that moment commissioned as apostles to be light and salt in the world, to take the message of Christ so that all the world can know of Jesus. And that is done all for God's glory. Now with that introduction... Paul then takes the next 11 chapters, if you will, to unfold what that means. And, and we're going to just hit some mountaintops in this explanation that Paul has of that encapsulation of the gospel. Now, don't forget, our text this morning is Romans 12, 1 and 2. But before we can understand how we're to live because of the gospel we have to understand these mountaintop concepts about the gospel that Paul writes in Romans. And so take your Bible and come with me as we quickly now begin to look at an overview of these 11 chapters that hit the mountaintops of this encapsulation of the gospel in verses 1 through 5. If you're with me, raise your hand, would you? Thank you so much. Here we go. Come with me to Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3. Paul begins on a march through the book of Romans to help us understand how this grace of Jesus comes into our life. How this apostleship comes into our life so that we have a life's mission to tell the world about Jesus. Romans chapter 3, verse 23. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Paul says if you're going to receive this grace that Jesus Christ wants to pour into your life to deal with the sin in your life, you have to first acknowledge the sin in your life. For all have sinned 
and come short of the glory of God. So many powerful words in that phrase, but the one I want you to think of for just a moment is a three-letter word, A-L-L. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. If This morning, if I were to say to you that for everyone who's here, for all of you who are here today, as soon as the service is over, I have a pocket full of $100 bills, and I have a $100 bill for all of you this morning. Would you expect to receive a $100 bill when the service is over? You wouldn't expect me just to give $100 to Bill and then turn around and walk out the door. You would expect your $100 because I said all, A-L-L. You wouldn't expect me to say, oh, okay, all of the folks over 60 years of age, uh, you're, you're living off your Social Security and, and retirement. I'm going to give you $100. Every child in this room would line up and patiently wait for their greenback to be placed in their hand. The word all is all-inclusive. Ladies and gentlemen, before you're ever going to receive the grace of Jesus Christ, you have to acknowledge for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That includes me. That includes you. No matter how wonderful you think you may be, no matter how wonderful your spouse thinks you are, no matter how wonderful your grandparents are convinced that you are, no matter how wonderful the world perceives you, the Bible says all of us have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The word sin that's used there, Archer's term, I've explained it to you once before. It means to miss the mark. It's the idea of an arrow that's been fired and it misses the bullseye. God has a bullseye for our life. That bullseye is perfection. We're to be perfect as a spouse and perfect as a parent and perfect as a business person and perfect as a friend and perfect as a member of Emmanuel Baptist Church. And the truth is, every Every one of our lives have missed the mark of perfection. We can't receive the grace of God unless we're willing to acknowledge our life has gone astray. Our life has not struck the target God intended. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Now come with me to Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6, again, helping us to embrace this grace and apostleship that Jesus offers. He, he hits another mountain peak of theology, if you will. Romans chapter 6, verse 23. For the wages of sin... Now, let me remind you, how many of us here this morning are guilty of sin? For the wages of sin, we are all guilty of sin, and the wages of sin is death. You know what wages are. If you're in the business world or you've retired from the work world, you know wages are the earnings that come at the end of a pay period. Baptist State Convention of North Carolina, we're paid every two weeks. Every other Friday, I expect there to be a direct deposit into my account of my wages. I've worked for that money. I've earned that money. It's my money. I expect to see it there. Paul writes, the wages for our sinfulness, 
what we've earned because our life has gone astray. What we've earned and what we deserve is death. Now, Paul is not speaking in that verse of Scripture of physical death. If, if Jesus tarries, all of us in this room will have a date with a funeral home, and we will be placed in some kind of container, and there the shell of our body will rest until time is no more. All of us have a date with physical death. Paul is speaking spiritually. Paul is saying spiritually, because of our missing the mark, because our life has gone astray, because we've made choices in which our life was errant in its direction, and we've missed the bullseye of perfection that God has for us, we deserve spiritual death. As a matter of fact, Paul will go on to say that if we are here this morning without Christ as our Lord and Savior, we are already dead in our sins and trespasses. So Paul is helping us to get to the point where we can embrace this grace and this apostleship. First, we understand that we're guilty of sin. Our life has gone astray. Secondly, we must understand, Romans 6.23, because our life has gone astray and missed the target God has for us, what we deserve, what we've earned, is spiritual death. But look what he says in the last part there's hope. There's a ray of hope. There's a ray of sunshine. It's not all bad news in verse 23. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life. Christ Jesus our Lord. Wow. We deserve to die, but the free gift of God, there's hope is eternal life in Jesus Christ. We, we don't have to die spiritually. We don't have to remain dead in our sins and trespasses spiritually. We can have eternal life. We can receive His grace through Jesus Christ. Now, for the sake of time, we're going to, to skip a verse, and I want you to come with me to Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10. If I'm not careful, I'll make this a three-week series. Romans chapter 10. Look with me, verses 9 and 10. This, this is all a run-up to Romans 12, 1 and 2. This is background to understand the teachings of those two verses of Scripture. Romans chapter 10, 9 and 10. But if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you shall be saved. For with the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. Verse 13, for whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. Paul says we are dead in our trespasses and sin, all of us. But there, there is the hope of life everlasting through Jesus. And the way we embrace that hope, the way we receive that grace, is that we acknowledge Jesus Christ died for our sin. We believe that in our heart and we're able to verbalize, Jesus, forgive me. Jesus, take control of my life. Jesus, I invite you to be my Lord and my Savior. And whoever calls upon the name of the Lord, the grace of Jesus Christ comes crashing into our lives. And our sin is forgiven. And life everlasting is ours. 
And between all of those mountain peaks of theology, 323, 623, 10, 19, and 13, in all of those mountain peaks of theology, Paul is, is preaching that divine love comes only through Jesus. He's teaching that grace and peace come only from Christ, hope and comfort in life only through Jesus Christ, forgiveness and sonship and righteousness and the gift of the Holy Spirit only comes to us through Jesus. And so he's layering, ladies and gentlemen, blessing upon blessing upon blessing through 11 chapters, blessings of God that flow into our life when we turn our life over to Christ. And then he comes to chapter 12, verse 1. And he says, therefore. Because in Jesus you find grace. Because in Jesus you find forgiveness. Because in Jesus you find hope. Because in Jesus you find peace. Because in Jesus you find righteousness. Because in Jesus you find adoption as sons of God. Because in Jesus you find and receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Therefore, here's how you ought to live. Now, ladies and gentlemen, I'll just say to you as plainly as I know how. If you understand the first 11 chapters of the book of Romans, Paul should have the freedom to write anything he wants after the therefore. Amen? Here's what I mean by that. If you understand all of the blessings that come crashing into your life through faith in Jesus Christ and the grace that he offers, then he should be able to require us to live in any fashion he desires. And he's about to show us how he wants us to live. Therefore. Now come back to the text and let's finish looking at verse 1 this morning. Paul writes, therefore, because of all that he said in the first 11 chapters, therefore, here's how you ought to live. He writes, I urge you, brethren. When he uses the word brethren, if you're here on Wednesday night, you've heard me say this over and over in the book of James. When Paul uses the word brethren, he's speaking of brothers and sisters in Christ. So he is not writing to the world outside of the church. He is writing to the church. He is writing to you this morning. He is writing to me this morning. Therefore, I urge you, Chuck. Therefore, I urge you, Latrell. Therefore, I urge you, Tom. He's writing to us. And he uses a very powerful word. Therefore, I urge you, brethren. We've seen this word before. Mark, come, come stand with me. This word urge comes from a, a word in the first century that means to come alongside someone to help them. It, it's what you and I might think of when someone who is dear to us, perhaps a parent, a grandparent, a, a co-worker, a best friend, they realize that we're struggling in life. There's something that, that is troubling us in life. And so they come alongside and they put their arm around our shoulder and, and there's a, a tenderness of a warmth and embrace and they just simply say to us, I, I want to give you some advice. I, I want to encourage you. I, I want to help you along. As a matter of fact, I want to give you the best advice I've ever given. That's the picture in this verse of Scripture. Thank you, bud. 
So, so this morning, if you feel on one of your shoulders a little weight, that, that is the Apostle Paul, through the person of the Holy Spirit, putting his arm around you. And if you'll listen closely with your heart, you might hear Paul even whisper, I want to give you the best advice I've ever given. Based on all that you know from the first 11 chapters of Romans about the blessedness of knowing Jesus and the grace and the apostleship that flows from him, I want to give you the best advice I've ever given. I want to help you know how you should live, brother, sister in Christ. So let's see this best advice that Paul has to give us, this encouragement Paul has to give us. Come back to the verse. Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies. I want us to look for a moment at this word, English word present, to present your bodies. First of all, it's written in such a way, it's an imperative, which means it's a command. Paul's about to give us a command. This encouragement about how we should live as a follower of Jesus, as a brother in Christ, as a sister in Christ, this encouragement that Paul's about to give starts with a command. Not with advice that's optional, not with advice that we should consider whether or not we're going to follow what Paul is about to say. Paul's saying, look, I've got my arm around you. I, I want to lovingly, compassionately, tenderly steer you in the right direction. But to do that, I need to give you a command in your life. What I'm about to say is not optional in your life. It is mandatory. Look what he says is mandatory. Because of all of the wonderful blessings of God in the first 11 chapters, therefore I urge you, my brothers, by the mercies of God, to present. I command you to present. Now watch this. The word present that's used there is written as a command, but its meaning takes the listener, the reader of the book of Romans back to the Old Testament. Romans are Jewish Christians. They have a Jewish heritage. This word present is a technical term. Follow me. is a technical term that means to place a body on the altar. Paul says, I urge you, brethren. He uses this technical term, to present your body, to lay a body on the altar. When he uses this word, every one of his readers of this book, their mind automatically goes back in the Old Testament in their heritage to the Day of Atonement. On the Day of Atonement, every year on the Day of Atonement, the Jewish family presents to the priest an animal to be sacrificed for the sins of the family. The priest takes that animal Forgive me for a little gore this morning, but he takes that animal and he cuts the throat of that animal and he allows that animal to bleed out and certain things happen to the body, but eventually that dead animal then is placed on the altar to be burned as incense, as a sacrifice unto the Lord. So Paul says to us this morning, 
Because of all that we see in the first 11 chapters of Romans that Jesus has done for us, that we, who are brothers and sisters in Christ, followers of Jesus, he encourages us, yet he commands us to lay our body as a sacrifice on the altar, as an offering unto God. But then he places some qualifiers on this body that's to be laid on the altar. Now, ladies and gentlemen, I want you to capture this picture in your mind because this is the antithesis of modern-day Christianity. Modern-day Christianity says we follow Jesus for what we get. We follow Jesus because through Jesus we get forgiveness. We follow Jesus because through faith in Jesus we get everlasting life in heaven. We follow Jesus because through following Jesus we get abundant life on this earth. We, we bring that into the church. We come to the church because in the church we get to sing the wonderful music of the faith. We come to church because it's through the church that we get programs that nourish our children and our teenagers. We come to church because it's in the church that we get taught God's word with instruction. It's almost as if Christianity today has become a get, 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 get religion. Ladies and gentlemen, what Paul is saying that's the antithesis of what it means to be a Christ follower. A Christ follower comes to the altar and a Christ follower lays his or her body on the altar as a sacrifice unto the Lord. Following Jesus, serving in his church is not about what we get. It's all about what we give unto the Lord. So look at these two qualifiers he places on our body that we're to place on the altar. Come back to verse 12. Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present this technical term for laying a body on the altar. In the Old Testament, it was always a dead animal, a dead lamb, a dead goat, a dead animal, to present your bodies. And then there's a twist there's a 180-degree turn out of left field. Present your bodies a living sacrifice. Living and holy sacrifice. We'll get to holy in just a second. Now he says a living sacrifice. When, when Paul writes a living sacrifice, his readers must have, must have sat up to take notice. They understood what Paul meant when he talks about a, a dead sacrifice on the altar, a, a dead lamb, a dead goat, offering for the sin of the family. They understand a dead sacrifice, but he says a living sacrifice. You know why Paul writes of a living sacrifice, ladies and gentlemen? Because a dead sacrifice had already been given for the brothers and sisters at Calvary. At Calvary, Jesus Christ allowed himself to be nailed to a cross. At Calvary, he shed his blood and gave his life. And when Jesus Christ died for brothers and sisters in Christ and our sinfulness on Calvary, it eradicated the need for any other person or animal to ever die for the sin of the world again. It's why we sing, Jesus paid it all.
All to him I owe. On Calvary, when he gave his life, the final sacrifice for sin was made for all of eternity. Now we don't place ourselves on the altar as a dead sacrifice. We place ourselves on the altar as a living sacrifice. Living sacrifice. Dr. Chuck Kelly, president of New Orleans Baptist Theological Seminary for over two decades, he's one of my mentors in ministry. Dr. Chuck Kelly used to say that our life is God's nickel and he gets to spend it any way he wants. I like that. My life is not mine. If I'm a follower of Jesus, I have laid my life on the altar, a living sacrifice, alive unto the Lord Jesus Christ, and the Lord has the right to take my life and spend that nickel any way he desires. David Platt, the immediate past president of the International Mission Board, used to say that our life is a blank check. God just gets to fill it in. Where it's sent, all of the details. We are living sacrifices. Our, our life belongs to God, and he gets to use us any way, anywhere he desires. There's one other qualification, though. We need to get back to that. Come back to this verse. Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living, here comes the second qualifier, and holy sacrifice. The word holy there means to be set apart. More technically, it means to be set apart for a purpose. When you and I place our lives alive on the altar, dedicated, we do that for a purpose. That purpose, don't ever lose sight of this fact, that purpose is to give God maximum glory. That's why you live as a follower of Jesus. That's why you live as a brother or sister in Christ. You're not on this earth to be the best at your profession. You're not on this earth to have the nicest home or drive the most comfortable automobile. You're on this earth with the purpose of bringing maximum glory to God. And then he says, don't miss this. Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice. Now, if you're taking notes, I want you to write in big, bold letters in your notes, acceptable to God. Acceptable to God. The word acceptable there means to be well-pleasing. It, it, it's a word that, that says God looks upon our sacrifice, a living, holy sacrifice on the altar for him to bring him maximum glory in our life. And God smiles. Well-pleasing. But then there's one other word I want you to see. Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, well-pleasing. Here it comes, which is your spiritual service of worship. The word spiritual there is where we get our English word, don't miss this, logical. Logical. 
I'm not sure why the translators chose to make the word spiritual in the English translation, because literally it reads, which is your logical service of worship. Now look what Paul's saying. Paul gives us these first 11 chapters of Romans, and he talks about our sinfulness, yet there's a there's the possibility our sin can be forgiven if we put our faith and trust in Jesus. Our sin will definitely be forgiven and we'll be given abundant life and eternal life. He gives us all of these wonderful things. In Christ, there's forgiveness. There's peace. There's hope. There's righteousness. There's adoption as the sons of God. He gives us all of these wonderful blessings that flow into our life through faith in Christ. Then he says in chapter 12, verse 1, Therefore... I urge you, brothers, brothers and sisters in Christ, that you present your body a living and holy sacrifice. If you do that, that is well-pleasing to the Father. He looks at your life and he smiles, and then he says, and that's the only logical response to the blessings of Jesus that you could offer in your life. Here's what Paul is saying. Let me turn that record over. Paul is saying, once you understand that all that Jesus Christ has done for you in your life, for you not to present your body as a living sacrifice unto the Lord is an illogical way to live. It's a life that lacks gratitude. It's a life that lacks thanksgiving. Once we understand all that Jesus has done for us, laying our life as a living sacrifice on the altar, Paul said that makes all the sense in the world. That's a logical way to respond. And to do anything else is completely, Paul says, illogical. To come to the Christian life and say, I'll follow Jesus because he, he will forgive my sin, Paul says, that's, that's illogical. I follow Jesus because in Jesus I have life everlasting. Paul says, that's true, but that's an illogical way to live. I follow Jesus only because in him I find peace and hope. Paul says, yes, that's correct, you do. But that's an illogical way to live, to only follow Jesus for what you get. What you understand is through Jesus, what you get makes you so grateful, so thankful, so appreciative that you're willing to lay your life on the altar. Dead to self, alive and holy unto the Lord. And Paul says that's the only logical way to live. Every head bowed, every eye closed for just a moment. Every head bowed, every eye closed. So friend, how are you living? Have you placed your life on the altar? A living and holy sacrifice? Have you understood that your life has missed the mark? That, that when you shoot the arrow of your life, that it misses the bullseye? And that you need the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ to forgive you, to put your life back on course, to give you life everlasting and abundant life on this earth. Have you surrendered your life to Christ 
And are you living your life on the altar in gratitude to him? If you've never trusted Christ this morning, in a moment we'll stand and begin to sing. And when we do, would, would you come? Would, would you just come to me and say, Chuck, today, I want to give my life to Jesus. I want to trust his payment on the cross for my sin. I don't want to experience the wages of my sinfulness. I want that free gift of God, which is eternal life in Christ. I want to believe in my heart and confess him with my mouth that he is Lord of my life. I I want to be saved today. Would you come? Maybe you're here this morning, you haven't put your life on the altar, or, or you've reached back and taken your life off the altar, and you're just living life in your own power, in your own direction, doing your own thing. And this morning, you need to come to this altar on bended knee and say, Lord, this morning I put my life, a living, holy sacrifice, back on the altar for your glory. Take my life and use it however you desire. Would you be willing to come to this altar and make that prayer? Maybe your church membership is somewhere else. God is leading you to the Emmanuel family. Would you come this morning? Father, speak with clarity to our hearts. Give us spiritual ears to understand your voice. Give us the courage and the submissiveness to be obedient. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to Dr. Chuck Register, interim pastor of Emmanuel Baptist Church in Raleigh, North Carolina. For more information and free access to other messages, visit us on the web at ebcraleigh.com.